Good morning, everyone. My name is Joshua Paris, and I'm a deacon at Liberty Church. And I'm thankful for an opportunity to open the word of God for us this morning. Our reading is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 25. For it is a credit to you, if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, morning star, would you dawn in the darkness of our lives this morning? Would you dawn in our hearts and our minds and reveal to us your beauty and your glory? Would you meet us in our places of fear and struggle? Would you meet us uh, in all of the ways that we need you to meet us? And would you speak to us your truth and love through your scriptures as we sit with them this morning? We ask for your blessing now. Amen. Well, today we are continuing our Eastertide series on this New Testament book of First Peter, which, as we've said over the past couple of weeks, uh, we're studying in this season for two reasons. One, uh, because Peter, or First Peter rather, is such a pastorally wise, challenging, and encouraging book that speaks directly to people who are suffering. And two, because millions of Christians around the world who uh, follow a standard reading schedule called the Revised Common Lectionary are studying these same texts right now as well. And in this present uh, scattered situation that we're in, in the midst of a global pandemic, it's helpful to remember that we are all connected to a larger community, not only the local church community to which we belong, but uh, that transcends, but to this global church, right, that can uh, transcends time and space, this family of God, uh, of God's children who belong to God, who are held by God, and really whose ultimate future, our future, is held secure because not of our abilities or efforts, but because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to endure all things. And so it's important to remember that always. But it's especially important for us to remember that now, as we are physically separated. It's important for us to remember that our unity in the church is actually more real than the divisions we experience, be they the divisions of physical separation that might seem most obvious to us right now, but also those of theological disagreement or cultural differences, what have you. Our oneness is always more real than our dividedness because the unity of the church isn't something that God has left up to us to create. Rather, our, our oneness is something God himself has created in Christ and now calls us to participate in together as one global family of all his children, 
who Peter describes at the beginning of this letter have been born again into this living hope and this lasting inheritance through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so that's our Easter hope that we're celebrating this Easter season. Uh, that's our Easter hope that we need to know and that we need to share as much as ever in these strange and difficult days of pandemic and ongoing lockdown. And perhaps fittingly today, we come to this part of the letter in which Peter offers concrete guidance and encouragement to those who are in the midst of suffering. And before we consider Peter's words, I would just encourage you to take a moment, uh, pause, and consider your own experience of this week. Can you call to mind and name your present sufferings, however big or small they may seem? You know, what, what are the burdens that you are carrying right now? What are the losses and the disappointments that you have sustained this week or in the last couple of months? What's been difficult to endure? Where are you feeling depleted of resources, of energy, of confidence? You know, I've talked with many of you over the last weeks and months, uh, and we've shared a lot of stories about how this is a challenging time. Uh, we're, we're wiped out, we're Zoom fatigued, your parents of young kids are exhausted. Uh, you know, uh, some of you have lost work or income, and um, and many of us are feeling uncertain about things that we felt a lot more certain about uh, not that long ago. And so this is a time uh, where anxiety is running high, where energy is running low. And so it's helpful, I think, as we come to a text like this first, to simply pause and consider our lives. What burdens are you carrying right now? And naming our sufferings, however big or small, not only helps us grieve those things well, grieve them in a healthy way that allows us to process them and heal, but it also, it names these very specific concrete places in our lives where we need to know God's presence and God's care for us in very personal and particular ways. And in this passage from 1 Peter, what we see is that our suffering is something that God cares about very much. Our suffering is something that God pays attention to and even enters into for our sake. And it's also something that God invites us to enter into and to enter into in a particular way, both for our own sake and for the sake of others around us. And what we see in this passage is that Peter describes suffering as a kind of Christian vocation. He says, to this you were called. Uh, suffering is something that God calls us to engage in a particular way as a means by which we join God as participants in God's mission of blessing and renewing the world. And what he's not saying here, probably important to say, uh, Peter's not saying that God calls us to go looking for suffering, right? And he's not calling, he's not saying that God calls us to pretend uh, that we enjoy suffering or that suffering is anything less than excruciating. Peter's also not saying that, you know, he's not justifying the unjust actions that cause suffering for people either. He's not saying that. And he's certainly not saying uh, that we should create our own suffering by making foolish choices that lead to painful consequences. But what he is saying, rather, is Peter's addressing followers of Jesus who live in a broken world in which suffering is inevitable. It's unavoidable. And he's saying when you suffer, suffer like this, with an awareness of God, 
in the likeness of Jesus and in fellowship with the God who is with you in the midst of your suffering. He's talking about what it means for us to suffer in and with Christ. And in this passage, Peter likens the experience and the vocation of the ordinary Christian, of people like you and me, to that of a household servant, which is a position of very low status, a position that was often um, liable to harsh treatment and unjust harsh treatment, right? And he holds up Jesus for us as an example of what it looks like to do this well. And he draws heavily here upon the portrait of the famous suffering servant that we find in Isaiah 53. Through Jesus's sufferings, Peter shows us, we have been healed. And he calls us to engage our own suffering in a way that participates in that healing work and friendship with our healer. For Peter, the important questions to wrestle with during seasons of suffering aren't so much the why questions that we may be prone to go to, but the who questions. Who is with me in this? Who can help me? Who can model for me what it looks like to suffer well? And Peter offers us Jesus as the answer to all of those questions. And he shows us that if we are to take up our calling to engage suffering in this transformed and redemptive way, that we need to know Jesus in three ways, as our fellow sufferer, as our savior, and as our shepherd. If you look at the text, at the way he describes Jesus, first he presents him as this sufferer, right? This one who in an exemplary way endured suffering. And Peter says, suffer like this. Follow the example of the one that you follow. But he also shows us Jesus as our savior, the one who's actually borne our sins, the one who's actually atoned for our sins, who's freed us from the burdens that we bear in any ultimate sense, and has, and has basically paid the way for us to live a new and liberated life in friendship with God. And then finally, Peter shows us Jesus as our shepherd, right? That is, as we come to know Jesus as our fellow sufferer, and as we come to know Jesus as our Savior, that we also come to know him as the shepherd and guardian of our souls who leads us home to God. Peter shows us something very, very important, that rather than simply delivering us from suffering, God in Christ delivers us through suffering, through the suffering of Jesus for us and through our suffering with Jesus as those who are united to him in his death and resurrection. And this, Peter shows us, is what it means for us to live in this space between being reborn into a living hope on one hand and then on the other, experiencing the fullness of our lasting inheritance in that time when every tear will be wiped away and suffering shall be no more. This living in the in-between is what the author and editor Cheryl Fullerton calls living in, quote, liminal space. The in-between time of disruption and destabilization between the way things used to be and the way things will be. The time during which, quote, the old touchstones, habits, and comforts are now past, the future unknown. In a recent article that I just read by Fullerton, she specifically draws on her own personal experience of entering such liminal space 
when she began cancer treatment a couple of years ago. But her insights, I think, apply profoundly to the situation that you and I find ourselves in today. This liminal space where our world has been disrupted, our life as we know it has been disrupted, and we know that it will be put back together in some kind of way, but we're not sure how. We're not sure what normal will look like on the far end of this coronavirus moment that we're in. And Fullerton writes this about living in liminal space. She says, dwelling in unsettling liminal space, whether we are pushed or we jump, we are led to draw on resources and possibilities we may not have tapped before. In the unknown space between here and there, younger and older, past and future, life happens. And if we attend, we can feel the Holy Spirit moving with us in a way that we may not be aware of in more settled time. In liminal time and space, we can learn to let reality, even in its darkness, be our teacher, rather than living in the illusion that we are creating it on our own. We can enter into the liminal paradox, a disturbing time and space that not only breaks us down, but also offers us the choice to live in it with fierce aliveness, freedom, sacredness, companionship, and awareness of presence. I love that. I, I think it, it speaks in a profound way to the kind of hope and fellowship with Jesus that Peter is writing about in this section of the letter as he's talking about what it means to know Jesus as our fellow sufferer, as our savior, and as our shepherd. And I find Fullerton's depiction of what life in liminal space could be, I find it very compelling. And I want that to be true of me. And I don't know about you, um, but I've felt some stress recently of wanting to see more change in myself as a result of the disruption that we're experiencing right now. Have you felt anything like that? Have you felt dissatisfaction with the kind of growth you're seeing in yourself, where it feels like this moment is so full of opportunity to be changed because everything is so disrupted and we just, we want to see more. The soil is so obviously tilled. Why am I not seeing more growth? Well, if that's where you are this morning, I think Peter's words here encourage you to grant yourself the same kind of compassion that God grants you in Jesus. Do you see the friend you have in Jesus who meets you in your struggle and in your suffering? Do you see the compassion of God for you? And as you look at Jesus, can you, can you see that maybe just maybe what God calls us to in this way of entering suffering in this transformed and redemptive way, what it looks like perhaps to take up our vocation of suffering with Jesus would be to look less critically and less cruelly upon all that is lacking in yourself right now and instead shift your attention and your gaze to Jesus, your fellow sufferer, your savior and your shepherd who is with you, who leads you and who guides you home to life with God, this lasting inheritance toward which we journey every step of every day of our lives. And God leads us and God strengthens us and God walks with us every step of the way. I don't know if you caught in the New York Times yesterday, there was an op-ed by Christopher Buskirk called How Coronavirus Made Our Church Stronger. And I'd just like to close by reflecting on, on what he says toward the end of that op-ed. He says, we recognize the trials, pains, and losses of life 
which we count as the price of living in a fallen world beset by the effects of sin, but we are simultaneously joyful that there is a better world to come in which Jesus Christ has wiped away every tear. It's a world we experience only in part today through the church. In what might seem like a paradox, that hope doesn't mean denying or ignoring the needs of the world. Rather, it creates a sense of obligation to serve as a that's because as Christians, we live in in-between times, a pilgrim people, but one with a responsibility to both God and man. In times like those we face today, when people are dealing with the current outbreak, with anxiety, with loneliness from lockdowns, with the economic costs and all the related stresses they bring, we are prepared, Buskirk says. In ordinary times, it can sometimes be difficult to see the best way forward. But when the world collapses, when people are in distress, when the needs are clear, we are ready, not so much as individuals, but as one church. I think that sums up so beautifully the calling, the vocation of our suffering with Jesus and in Jesus, as we know him as our fellow sufferer who sympathizes with us in all of our pain and weakness, as we know him as our savior who has borne our burdens and who has healed us by his wounds, and as we know him as our shepherd who guides us, who guards us, and who leads us home. We lack plenty individually, but we share together as one family of God in the unity that God has created in Christ. We share the living hope that we need. We share the lasting inheritance that is ours because of Jesus. And my prayer for us this week is that God would grant us grace by his spirit to rest in, rest in Christ, to see him, as our friend in every step of every day, to see him as the one who bears our burdens for us, who bears our burdens with us, and who strengthens us to bear the burdens we must bear, and that we would together share our Easter joy, our Easter hope of resurrection life in Christ, that we are in fact celebrating this Easter season, despite our Easter tide also being Corona tide in the very real way that it is this year. Alleluia. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.